Exilio, the tech growth podcast. On this episode of the Exilio podcast, I spoke with Kieran O'Keefe, CEO and co-founder of Akiro. Akiro is an unbelievably promising Irish cyber startup who just launched at Security B-Size recently. And I chatted with Kieran about how the journey has gone so far, from idea to funding to launch. Hope you enjoy. I'm joined by Kieran O'Keefe, uh, co-founder and CEO of Akiro, a new Irish startup in the cyberspace. Uh, you're very welcome, Kieran. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Um, first off, if you want to give me a bit of a, an elevator pitch on uh, Akiro. Yeah, we've done, we've done this a, a bit over the last couple of months. Um, so basically, Akiro is an automated, or it's a, it's a product that automates product security design and compliance for cloud-native environments to help organizations deliver um, their applications, their networks, their services um, more securely and faster, basically. Okay, okay, very good. And I want to go into a bit of your background. So um, there was a stint in management accounting, and then um, what did you do after that? So management accounting is probably a bit of a red herring. Um, so I suppose my LinkedIn profile isn't fully complete. Um, so on my LinkedIn profile, I'd say the first job you see there is a Ernst & Young or EY Consulting in Dublin. Um, but prior to that, I was seven years in the uh, Irish police. So I was a, a guard for seven years. So, okay. On the, like, on the beat the whole time? Yeah, on the beat. Um, then basically became trained as a driver. So basically was driving cars, vans, all of the above. So um, good fun. Really liked it, but kind of wanted to travel, wanted to try different things and always had a kind of a, I suppose, a, a yearning to get back into kind of IT. Like I, I started IT in college, um, always had a natural interest in it. Um, took a year out and decided to join the police in that year out. So um, ended up going back, going back to college, finishing my degree while I was in the, in the police. Um, and then took up a role in, in, in Ernst & Young in, in Dublin, um, who forced me down the management accounting route, but I, I resisted strongly. Um, <laughs> I, I had to do like the first version of the management accounting, so SEMA, um, of which from my degree I had like eight exemptions, so I had to do one exam. Okay. Um, and that kind of like ticked the box and kind of got them off my back to, to kind of pursue the management accounting route. So um, yeah, I was very much more focused on the technical side of things and um, that quickly became apparent to the to the, to the leadership in, in, in So did that role lead into IT security then? Yeah, so basically I was on the uh, IT risk assurance team, um, which basically meant that we did um, things like um, SOC audits, so for uh, IT control basically. Um, and it kind of blended very nicely with kind of what I was interested in in terms of like security controls, um, how do organizations protect critical infrastructure. Um, and things like that. So I kind of, you know, got my kind of, uh, I suppose, start there if you want to, if you want to call it that. Um, and then quickly went into like SOC 2 reporting and kind of running SOC 2 audits for, for organizations and technology companies. Um, and yeah, kind of that's where I kind of went from and then kind of started specializing in the security aspect of things um, because they're very much inter interlined in our yeah. uh, controls and security. So. And there's a bit of a trend there. So like police force, IT security, is there a bit of an inherent distrust with everything that's going on? Um, not a distrust. Um, I suppose a kind of a, a natural curiosity is probably a better way to say it. Okay. Um, trying to understand, um, you know, when things go wrong, how did they go wrong or why did they go wrong? 
and how can they be fixed and how can it not happen again? So that's kind of where all of that kind of natural curiosity comes from. Like, so okay. yeah, and making things right. Things, so. And so you had a few years in IT security in different um, large corporations, essentially. Um, tell me how Akiro came about and how you and your co-founders started talking about it. Yeah, so like you mentioned, I've done a lot of um, like consulting work as well. So I got to see lots of different organizations, albeit like in a very kind of a snapshot kind of fashion, right? So, um, you know, you're in doing an audit or you're in doing some like advisory work and you're there for like two weeks or four weeks or six weeks, whatever the case may be. And you get you kind of really have to rapidly assimilate what's going on in an organization and be able to provide guidance and kind of, um, you know, advice on how to kind of shore things up or make things better or like improve your security posture. Um, so from there, I went into um, technology. So I actually worked in the US, which is where I met one of my um, co-founders, uh, Stuart. So I met, um, I worked for a consulting firm in, in DC. Um, I was the first hire on their newly, um, newly christened cybersecurity practice. Um, so it was just myself and, and the partner, uh, Cameron. And that team has since exploded since I left. So you know, was, uh, was I holding the back or is it just that the work just became better or I did a good job? But um, that's where I met Stuart and I came back to, came back to Dublin um, and started working in the finance industry, finance industry from a security perspective. Um, and then went from there to, to Logitech because um, I really wanted to focus on kind of like cloud native and you know, in finance um, organizations, especially in Ireland, you know, there's a hesitation to, to move to the cloud in terms of, you know, regulation and yeah. control environments. And it's just hard for them to do it because of, you know, external regulation and things like that. Um, so really wanted to focus on a technology company and move back to Cork uh, from, from Dublin, back to the real capital. Yeah. And uh, basically took a role with Logitech where I was running their uh, security, architect security architecture team um, and then their operations team globally. Um, so, okay. you know, great kind of... I suppose natural kind of progression into, into that. Um, when I came back from Bank of Ireland, I met my other co-founder, Anthony. Um, she was the, the, the person who, who hired me in, in Bank of Ireland. Um, okay. And since then, we kind of basically worked together um, in every job. I hired her at Logitech. Um, she referred me into a role at, at Force Point in Cork. So we've kind of been able to find um, her husband actually calls me her work, calls me her work husband. Right. You're that guy. Yeah, I'm that guy, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we've been, I suppose, good friends for kind of five or six years, and we've been kind of talking about some of the challenges that we face in all the organizations that we both worked for. And one of the themes that kept constantly coming up was, you know, organizations continue to be kind of breached or can kind of suffer security incidents. And a lot of the time it comes down to um, a lack of design or a lack of security focus at the design stage for, for an application or for a network or whatever the case may be. And that got us thinking in terms of how could we start leveraging some of the modern technologies in terms of like automation, infrastructure as code, and how could we tie all these things together to, I suppose, start to kind of close that gap in terms of, um, in terms of security instance being, being um, exposed because of poor design practices from a security perspective. And that's really kind of where the idea for Kiro was born. And had you any inkling before that about or any desire or dream to set up your own company be it in technology or not or was yeah. it just that you, you saw a gap there and it went from there or how did that happen um i kind of knew i always wanted to 
to, 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 to run my own company or start my own company. Um, Stuart and I actually saw the other co-founder, Stuart, um, yeah. and I had a failed startup um, where we were trying to sell some software to the Irish police force. Um, ah, okay. It didn't really go well. The demo like was about the curse of the demo. This was the demo from hell. Like we made a change on the way over in the car to, to the demo and the whole thing just broke. It was, uh, 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 it was challenging, but you know, the, that, that spirit was always there that I wanted to do something and okay. try something. Um, and I suppose there was always kind of a little bit of a hesitation as well in terms of, you know, trying and failing. Yeah. But having failed with, with the first venture and failed rather spectacularly and quickly, um, the lessons learned there have, have stood us in good stead since, since we started with Hero. So, um, very it happy. It probably helps that, um, that it was a quick failure because the, the passion was still there. It hadn't burnt out of you completely. Correct. Yeah, it hadn't burnt out at all. Um, and I kind of knew that, you know, the kind of the roles that I took um, after that failure in terms of um, knowing that I wanted to do something, I really wanted to focus on kind of cloud native technologies. Okay. Um, and, you know, everything I did after that was kind of geared towards getting me to, to, to where I am now in terms of starting a hero. So. Um, and how did you, the three of you divvy up roles? Like, how did you figure that out? Yeah, so um, when, we, when we decided to start, right, so I pitched the idea to Stuart in a pub in Dublin, and like, he's not a technical person, he's a, a chartered accountant by trade, okay. um, but very much kind of clued in in terms of on the ball with lots of different things and kind of can turn his hand to anything, understand something very, very quickly. And when I spoke to him about it and he understood it, immediately coming from a non-technical background. Okay, yeah. I, knew that, I knew that there was something there, right? So um, he decided to come on board. We kind of know, we didn't really know what we were going to do, um, but we knew that we were going to do something. Um, and then I pitched the same idea to Anthony and told her about Stuart. They hadn't met at this stage. And uh, basically that's kind of where it all started. And then we just started working on it. There was no kind of real kind of formality around it. Um, okay. I'd been kind of working on it in the background for, for kind of weekends and evenings in my spare time. And, you know, having the guys come on gave me a little bit more clarity um, in terms of you know, what's the best way to do this or kind of, I was thinking around one pattern, like when you have two or three people looking at the same problem, you start to get that kind of like um, different perspective, which was very helpful. Um, and then that was kind of it. We were just kind of plotting along. And then I reached out to, um, a friend of ours who had a, a startup in Dublin as well, um, and basically asked him would he be a mentor. Um, okay. Because we're kind of getting to the point where we were kind of like, you know, it's starting to get a little bit more serious. It's taking up a lot more time than we had anticipated. We were also working full time, and he basically asked me the, the question that kind of started started Kiro formally was, um, "How are you funding this?" Yeah. And basically, we said we were funding ourselves. Savings were being depleted rapidly. And um, he was like, let me put you in touch with, with somebody. And that somebody led to somebody else. And funding uh, was, was the next natural step. And how did you personally adapt to going, like going from employee to now CEO? Um, challenging. The book kind of stops with, with the CEO and a lot of organizations. Um, and when you're in, when you're in a role as an employee, you know, there's always these kind of layers above you where you're somewhat protected if you make a, a wrong decision. 
Um, and, you know, there's accountability above you, right? So if things go wrong, even if you make the mistake and it ends up getting you fired or whatever the case would be, um, you are kind of responsible, but there's other people who are always accountable. Yeah. As a CEO, like a decision I might make now could be fatal to the organization or it could be, you know, the making of the organization, right? So um, that's kind of that added pressure thinking about um, not just thinking about it from a person perspective anymore, but thinking about it from perspective of people that we now work with and now work for Kiro, um, thinking about Kiro as a company, um, and then thinking about like our customers as well. So um, our future customers, basically. Um, yeah. All those kind of facets now committed decision-making, which um, is tough, right? Because you're going to make wrong decisions. We've, we've, we've already made wrong decisions in the kind of short time we've been, we've, we've been up and running. Um, but there are always opportunities to learn, right? So yeah. we, we move on and um, we learn from them and try not to make them again. So, um, But yeah, accountability is, is probably the biggest shock to the system going from an employee to a CEO. Okay. And tell me a bit about the market for Akira. Like, who, what type of customers are you going after and who are the players there already and who like the main competitors? Yeah. So the market is fairly kind of nascent and, and, and kind of new. Um, there are a few competitors, there are a few tools that are doing um, something similar um, to, to what Akira is doing. Um, so the market is kind of application security threat management is kind of the, 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 the Gartner term or the Gartner name for the market. Um, but in reality, it's, it's basically around secure design, right? So um, some of the competitors there in terms of tooling would be the likes of Arius Risk, um, threat modeler would be kind of the main two competitors from a, from a tooling perspective. Um, you also have like OWASP, OWASP Threat Dragon. Um, you've got the Microsoft Threat Modeling tool. Um, but then you also have like consultancies and firms like that who actually want to do kind of like secure design kind of um, engagements. Okay. Um, I was actually speaking to an old colleague of mine who just spent 10 weeks doing, doing an engagement. But they were kind of all encompassing and kind of, you know, very much kind of looking at the physical nature of things as well um and, and that kind of thing like so you know you've kind of a broad spectrum of kind of like competitors in the market uh in terms of kind of how who we're targeting or how we're going to, to go about it um i suppose every organization that i've worked in and consulted with um there's always been a need to to um identify security requirements and embed them within, within controls, whether that's because of, you know, they want to ship a good secure product or they have some compliance needs um, or regulatory requirements. Um, the, the need is always there, right? So what we've kind of found in our time is that, um, you know, the security person in the organization is usually overwhelmed um, or is sometimes seen as the person who says, no, you thou shalt not yeah, pass. Yeah um kind of mentality and often gets skipped right because um security people want to have an inherent understanding of everything that's going on and how does that then kind of interact with the rest of the organization um or the rest of the kind of products we whatever the case may be so we tend to ask a lot of questions and when organizations are trying to move fast and deliver products and features sets really, really quickly you know that security person quickly becomes becomes a gap right the other thing is that you know we're also targeting companies that don't have any security personnel at all right they want to be able to deliver products and services outsourcing a lot of their security um, security capabilities and starting to enable those smaller teams and organizations to be able to identify security requirements very, very quickly 
um, and embed those within their current software development lifecycle processes. Um, so, you know, that can be anything from kind of a small kind of 10 person team to a large global kind of multinational who has like global dispersed security and engineering teams all over the world. Um, no matter what size you are, you're going to derive value and benefit from using a tool like Kira. And what about Geo? Like in basic Cork, I know you're remote around Ireland. Um, is do you think it'll be restrictive to be have your headquarters in Ireland, or does it matter anymore? I think COVID has kind of put paid a lot of that kind of yeah uh, that mindset in terms of like people have to be in offices in a certain location. Most organizations now, like some of the big organizations you see on, on LinkedIn, kind of every second day there's an announcement that they're going to keep their workforce remote globally. Like, you know, yep. that, you know, I think that need to be to, to be geographically located in the same market that you're selling to is kind of starting to dissipate. Um, you definitely want a presence there, so somebody in the country, but it doesn't mean that you need to have um, headquarters there. And we're basically going with a, a kind of a SaaS model. So, you know, we can basically deploy anywhere for anyone um in a number of minutes so you know yeah. you need to be geographically there um i think is, is is definitely is definitely decreasing and how do you go about getting your first customer because i think your, your first customers are crucial aren't they and you want them to kind of sing your praises and, and shout yeah. about you but how do you yeah. go about getting a hero out there is it through consultancies or companies that you've worked for before and give them free trials or and will yeah. that limit you to Ireland, or how, how do you do it? So basically we're pre-product at the moment, right? So we're actually launching in eight days, the countdown is on. Very good. Uh, soft launch at um, Security B-Sides Dublin, uh, which is a security conference community-based um, that I'm also an organizing member of. But we're sponsoring this year, and we're going to have basically a soft launch. Okay. Um, we've identified our first customer, so um, it's did not official. Yeah, it's not, not official yet, so we've started. Um, but basically, we're, we're basically reaching out to our network initially, right? So like a lot of the people that we've worked with before, um, yeah. that we spoke about the product before we actually ever started building, you know, they're saying this is a great idea. You know, when it's ready, let us see it, right? So we're kind of at that point now where we're, we're, we're ready. Um, the customer that we've, we've, um, we've just acquired, never worked with them before. We just met them through through a different channel um, they love the idea and they're basically on which is kind of heartwarming as well to know that we've actually built something that, that you know yeah. as security practitioners we knew that people would need but to actually get that validated in, in the market yeah. is really nice and um, it was a great feeling um, and so basically, right? sorry, go on. also all I say is basically like leveraging our network understanding people that you know, people that we've worked, so we've sat in the position of like a user or a buyer before. Yeah. So we know kind of from our own experience as practitioners, you know, what's what's required and what the organizations look for when they're buying a tool like this. Um, and that's basically the approach we're taking for, for those early customers. And really planning on working with those early customers to, to kind of gather that feedback and, you know, improve the tool with, with different features that are kind of, we think we've built a good tool, but like the minute you put it out to customers, they're going to tell you, you know, this could be better. This doesn't really make sense in the context of what you're trying to do it for. Maybe tweak this a little bit. And getting that feedback early and often is yeah. crucial for us to be able to kind of go for. And I, full I'd imagine you'd need them to to be fully engaged in that process as well, to so that they're committed to giving yeah. you that feedback rather than 
using it ah, it's no use for us or it doesn't work for us you know next yeah. products but yeah. then you have a working case study to, to work off then exactly yeah exactly so like we've, we've been talking to a couple of customers you know so, some customers are you know they're not cloud native we're not fully cloud native some customers that we've spoken to um they just like one of the feedback is that i don't have anybody that i can give this tool to um but you know when i do because i'm so small um you know definitely come back and we can we can definitely chat um and that's only because of the point that we're at that we're looking to engage with customers like you said who can give us feedback and there's somebody in the organization yeah. who's responsible and is you know engaged with working with the tool and giving that feedback you know so yeah um, that's crucial for us at the moment like there's no point in, in in us giving the tool to an organization we deploy it for them and they never log in right so nobody gets gets any value there or they log in kind of sporadically and they use the tool for kind of one project yeah you know what i mean there's no value there for for, for that organization and there's for no anyone value. yeah yeah. And you mentioned that you, you bootstrapped initially until someone told you or, or opened your eyes to, to funding. Yeah. How did you find the whole fundraising uh, process? Um, yeah. Um, so, like, we were very unprepared for, for funding. Like, it, it came out of, out of nowhere. We didn't really understand what would be required. We didn't really understand how to pitch. Um, so it's basically a roller coaster in terms of learning and, and kind of adapting, right? So we 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 didn't do a physical pitch. Our first application was to um, to an accelerator program um, where they were offering like 250k, and okay. um, we were selected. And looking back now on kind of what we submitted to those guys versus what we did in our actual you know um, pitch, like they're kind of you wouldn't be able to tell that it was the same company potentially because of really? the way that it was written, right? So when we actually sat down to focus on it um, and put some time into it and really kind of document what we were trying to achieve, um, the first company who came on board for the first VC, they were like, yeah, we're, we, we love the idea. Let's, let, let's go. Brilliant. Um, which was great. Was it a case of like, um, you have our attention for five minutes, go um no it was very much more like it was very informal so okay. it came through like a warm introduction um i got a i got a ping on linkedin from the vc and my mentor guy i took a screenshot and said you know this person you like called him immediately basically yeah. like, set up a call very informal and and kind of went to here and kind of spoke about kind of what we were trying to achieve um and then they were like okay can you, can you give us a pitch Great. and so they kind of knew us already. They'd met each of us. Um, uh, we'd had a call. So we had like three or four calls where they got to know us kind of a little bit. Because when you're pre-product, right, they need to, they're investing in, in you. Yeah. Or you as a person or you as a founder or you as a team of founders, right? So um, I think that was kind of like laying the foundation for, for us. And then... And what, also, did that feel like going, are you guys going for an interview almost for, to kind of save your job maybe? Um... It didn't, it didn't feel like that. It probably was that in reality, but it didn't feel like <laughs> yeah. that, which, is, which is a good thing. Um, you know, it just felt very natural, like having a, like you and I are having a conversation here now. It was very much like that. Um, there were some questions in terms of like, um, you know, understanding your target market and all that kind of stuff and what's your goal yeah. market strategy. Stuff like that that we hadn't kind of thought about kind of in the preceding months, but we really had to focus on at that time and say, how are we actually going to deliver this and that kind of thing. So. Um, they were kind of that was kind of the only kind of 
I suppose, struggle for us. Like we knew what we wanted to do. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just putting it down on paper and, and, and telling somebody else how we were going to do it. Um, and, you know, it wasn't really, like the questions were tough, like, you know, but yeah. when you're able to answer them in, in a way that makes sense, you might have the answer. Like, and we didn't have the answer to everything, right? So, because um, we just weren't at a point where we had, we, we knew everything, right? So and nobody yeah. ever knows it, I don't think. Um, so we were able to basically, you know, talk to the points that we knew about and then like just be open and transparent and say, look, we haven't got no, that far. You don't know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think honestly in, in that process is, is crucial because um, you don't want to kind of, you know, not pull the wool over someone's eyes, but like, you know, be kind of misleading and let somebody mm. think that they're investing in something that isn't actually theirs. Yeah. Um, we were very upfront and forthright with, with what we were kind of doing. And I think the guy is kind of, that kind of resonated with the, the VC team. Um, and other people that we went out to speak to about the product. So very good. And so you're launching soft launch in eight days. What do the next six months look like for Akira then? Roller coaster. <laughs> uh, we have a roadmap as long as two arms and three legs. Like it's things that we want to get done. And you know, not coming from an engineering background, I had all these kind of like aspirations for it for our MVP. Um, that we're launching and you know when we started hiring some engineer folks that those aspirations that kind of scope was literally starting to get smaller and smaller and smaller yeah kind of point out we, like we know what we want to deliver um as part of our mvp scope but those things that we wanted in initially they're all still there right so it's basically about about um prioritizing them getting them in and also incorporating the feedback that we get from those early customers right so um, that's kind of what we're looking at for the next six months. Hiring is is a huge challenge within the market, yeah. um, especially for for engineers, um, front end and, and back end, um, and that's kind of what we're trying to going to be. That's what we're going to have to need to do is be able to attract um, talent, um, which is always challenging as a startup, right? So yeah, in a pandemic as well, which is the added problem that people are probably unwilling to leave jobs uh, during a pandemic. Um, so, you know, that's kind of going to be our biggest challenge, but our roadmap is basically to deliver on our, our sorry, our plan for the next six months is basically deliver on the roadmap and incorporate those, those, those kind of feedback sessions from, from the early customers and just really kind of start to iterate on what we've kind of built for MVP as well and as trying to more customers. On the personal side then, for you, um, as founder and CEO, like doing something in your spare time and weekends, uh, funding it yourself, like as you said, going into your savings. Well, what has been the biggest personal commitment or, or sacrifice that you've had to make um, over the last six or nine months for this? Um, I think I think time is probably the biggest thing, right? So, like you're spending like before we ever got funded, you know, you come home from work or like obviously we're in a pandemic, so you shut your laptop down for work at five, like and get a cup of coffee and you're opening up your personal laptop and start working on, on, on this, like, you know, and before you know it, your head's down and it's, it's two o'clock in the morning, like, and, you know, it's basically, it was trying to get that balance right in terms of, like, I know I want to get this done. There's only so many hours a day, kind of how do I prioritize? The other aspect of things, I think, was, um, you know, life still goes on outside of work, so, like, family things, like, you know, that's obviously a challenge too, right? So being able to spend time with, with loved ones and things like that, obviously the pandemic, um, yeah made that a little bit more difficult. So it was a good time to try and, I suppose, dedicate time that you weren't kind of forgetting about other people. Like, you know, so Zoom became everybody's way of connecting. So 
I was already sitting in front of the computer, so it just made sense to, to switch screens and open up a Zoom <laughs> and have a beer and do a family quiz kind of thing. Like so. Um, but I'd say time, time has definitely been the biggest challenge and being able to, I suppose, fit everything and everybody in, I think, is the, is, is the biggest challenge. And you mentioned that the issue of fundraising kind of came out of the blue. Um, did, did, that, did you get a real sense of validation or, you know, we're really onto something now, even though you weren't planning that? Um, I think yes is the short answer. I think even up until we were told, until we got our term sheet, we were kind of going, oh, you know, do they, do they believe in us? Like, really? Like, and that was kind of, once that term sheet came through, we knew like that, you know, the validation was, was, was fantastic. Like, you know, um, understanding that we were able to explain the problem to non-technical people and that they saw the value in it, right? And they saw, even though we are pre-product, like that they, they saw the value in us and what we could bring to an organization. Yeah. Um, based on our previous experience and, our, and our, our, our careers to date. And they saw that us as a group of founders could actually work together to deliver something to the market, um, which was great validation, to be fair, yeah, absolutely. And I know you're still very early in Akira's journey, but is there anything you know now that you wish you knew last year, maybe? Um, probably lots of things. Um, yeah, if I'd have known, like the funding process is, is quite challenging in terms of like the legals and all that kind of stuff. Um, that was probably the biggest kind of eye opener for me. Like I always had this idea that, you know, you hear a company's getting funding like kind of Friday, like that, that, <laughs> yeah. that just didn't ring true for us, you know what I mean? So I think that was kind of, um, if I'd have known that it was going to be so challenging in terms of like documenting things and, and um, really getting through that kind of process was, was quite arduous. Um, well, I mean, I mean, we got there, right? It's part of the course, so yeah, you know, we'll know for the next time what to expect. And I think is it was having those maybe those unrealistic expectations that it was just going to be like you know signing on the dotted line, but it really wasn't. Yeah. There was an awful lot more to it, and a big party afterwards. Yeah, and like, and again, like we didn't even get to have a beer to celebrate. Like you know, we, yeah, we got our term sheet. Like like one of my co-founders, Anthony, just lived next door, and um, so I went over to our place and we just had a beer. Like but like it was it was probably a little bit anticlimactic. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and yeah. what what advice would you give uh, someone starting out on a similar journey? I think one of the biggest things for me before I even went a bitch to to the co-founders was was a fear of failure. Um, you know, I think a lot of people suffer from imposter syndrome nowadays, wondering, you know, am I the right person to do this? Mm. Um, I think it's just like kind of back yourself. You know. Fear is probably, for me, I've, I've like, for years I would have thought like, you know, fear is a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing. It's actually starting to motivate me now saying, you know, yeah. it's okay to be afraid about something like, but just try it. Like, there's nothing worse for me now than thinking, you know, I could have done this. And that was probably what really drove me on to start a hero that, you know, if I don't do this the way that I think it can be done in a better way than anybody else can do it, then I'll regret it or somebody else will do it. And yeah. I've missed out on an opportunity to to basically improve, you know, even one team's or one organization's security posture, um, or make their lives a little bit easier, um, or do it for them faster. Um, you know, I, I I would have regretted it, right? So, um, don't be afraid. Is kind of you know, is, is part of the message. Like VCs, there's like there's people out there now like that, like 
they're just they just want to invest in, in good companies. Yeah, and, good companies. And, and probably so more accessible now. As well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, even now, like we're getting we're getting you know calls on a, on a weekly basis to talk to VCs now, which I think is a great is a great thing, right? Because you know, yeah. knowing that they're out there, like many people, like we did we had no clue about VC funding. We yeah. didn't know we didn't know how it worked. We didn't know anything about it. Um, but once you kind of get get talking to one VC, you start to realize that there's this whole other world that you never knew existed. Yeah. And there's capital there for you to basically pursue your idea. Um, and I know one thing actually, it's, we had Alan Coleman on last year, and one thing that resonated with me was he said, you know, as long as you're hitting your milestones, which can be ambitious, but, you know, have to still be relatively reasonable as well, as long as you're hitting them, keep going, keep backing yourself. When you when you aren't hitting them, definitely have a conversation uh, yeah. with yourself around everything. But if you are, it is working, and you just need to keep going. Yeah, no, I, I can absolutely agree with that. Like, I mean, six months ago we didn't have a product, and you know we're eight days away from launching MVP. Um, sorry, even three months ago we didn't have a product, right? So, um, you know, when we got the engineering guys on board, um. You know things just really accelerated and like we're already ahead of schedule which is great um from our own internal kind of like we had kind of you know pins on the board saying like we want yeah. to do, do this by this date um and we're already kind of ahead of that schedule right so yeah just continue to kind of like head down just keep keep going yeah. forward like don't like look back when you need to to see how far you've come but don't rest on your laurels either like say yeah. that, you know there's always work to be done and finally, why would someone join Akiro? Um, I think for us, one of the biggest things for us in terms of, uh, from a co-founder's perspective, is that we all worked in organizations where, you know, we had a lot to offer, but kind of always felt that, you know, it wasn't always well received. And, you know, sometimes an organization would go in a different direction for, for many different reasons, whether it was a cost reason or a time reason or resourcing, whatever the case may be. Um, one of the biggest things that we set out of Akira is that, you know, regardless how, of how big or small that we get, your voice will be heard. I know that probably sounds a bit kind of cheesy and kind of like, you know, um, canned, but it really isn't like that. That's one of our biggest things. We, we've, we've felt that we've never had an impact. Sorry, not that we never had an impact, but, you know, we weren't always heard. And one of the biggest things that we're trying to instill in, in Akira is that, no matter where you sit within the organization, if you have something to say, say it and it will be heard. Okay. Um, because more often than not, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the story around post-its in 3M, that, you know, 3M yeah. basically out there kind of feeders saying to anybody in the organization come up with a product idea. Um, and it was somebody who wasn't even in a product team who came up with the idea for post-its. Like, so, yeah. you know, anybody in the organization, as long as they're invested in the organization, can add value. And I think that's probably the biggest biggest thing for, for us that if you come to Akiro no matter what size we are you can you can definitely add value. Okay very good. Well thanks very much for your time Kieran. Uh, it's been great having you on. Thanks Rob. Cheers.